So the week uh, before Christmas, Pastor Al and his wife Vivian Robinson of Spirit of Truth Urban Ministry in downtown Buffalo, New York, did what a lot of people do. They went and got food for their big holiday meals because all of their nine kids and the rest of their family were going to be home for a couple weeks. Nine kids. Jesus for a month or a year or 10 years or 20 years or 40 years or, or whatever it is, 
Or maybe you're not really even sure if you're following Jesus. That's okay. It's the same for everybody. Being in his written word cannot be overstated. I know that sounds super old-fashioned, okay? But honestly, there's really no substitute for it. And it's never too late to start. Okay, today's the, what is it, what is it? Eight. Okay, and maybe you're sitting there going, well, that Bible reading plan started on the 1st of January. I'm already eight days in. It's too late. No, it's not. Just pick it up and start on the 9th tomorrow. I don't care. Start. It's okay. Never too late to start. Find a time and a place and some sort of plan. There's ones on the back table. You can find them on the internet. Study Bibles happen. They're everywhere. Just start reading. You know what? Maybe you don't even want to use a plan. Hey, you know what? Just start in Matthew. Start in Luke. Start in the Gospel of John. I don't care. Start somewhere. But just reading it is really only part of the picture because we know James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now that's interesting. Doers. Start, you know, especially in Baptist churches, you start talking about doing too much. It sort of sounds like works, and then it sort of sounds like legalism. We don't want that. Because, I mean, didn't Jesus chide some of the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law because they had too many rules? It was all about doing. Keep this rule, keep that rule. Not enough about love. And, you know, uh, we none of us want to be accused of being unloving and that sort of thing. And for sure, over the, the centuries, a lot of people have, often good intention people, have turned doing the word into keeping a list of rules. Now, I don't think God's specifically concerned with keeping a bunch of rules, okay? In fact, the only list of rules he really gives in the Bible are the Ten Commandments, and those, those are really pretty broad and general, you know? And there's the laws in the Old Testament, but Jesus fulfilled those, so that's why I can have my bacon wrapped shrimp. And Joe, you had some at my party, didn't you? <laughs> and you liked it, didn't you? Did you eat one? I did not. You did not have any of the bacon wrapped shrimp at my party? I just had plain shrimp. You took the bacon off? Or no, you had the <laughs> shrimp. <laughs> some of you had the bacon wrapped shrimp at my Christmas Eve party. And it was glorious, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Did you, have, did you have some? It was delicious. Did you listen to Jeff's? It was great, wasn't it? Yep. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Jesus talks about, right, his, his yoke is light. He says he came to free people, and free to me doesn't sound like a, a bunch of rule keeping. But I also know that the Bible talks about how freedom doesn't mean license. It doesn't mean I just good to go live any way I want, do whatever I want, blah, 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 blah. I mean, after all, Paul says in Romans, shall we sin more that grace may abound? It can never be. We die to sin. So what is it then? That is so confusing. I'm reading the word. But what does it mean that I should be doing the word? And what should, I, what should the word do in me? So I want to think about that a little bit this morning. And the, the place that I want us to start before we get into the main text that Gretchen already read for us this morning in 1 John, is I want us to start by reminding ourselves what God's stated goal is for every follower of Jesus. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, you know I allude to this a lot in my sermons about God's stated goal for every person. But I want us to go real quick there and, and see where it comes from so you don't think that I'm just making stuff up. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, we all love Romans 8, 28. That hopeful assurance that for those people who are following Jesus, God is working things out for our ultimate good. Right? We hear that verse all the time. You know, oh, God's working all things out. That sort of thing. Now, I'm always careful when I talk about that verse to qualify that it's the ultimate good that's in mind here. Because sometimes the working out of things does not feel very good. At the time, it might not seem very good. Because we're not always sure what good really is. See, good from God's perspective might be very different than good from my limited, non-omniscient perspective. I have two problems. Can you laugh at Only two. Among my many problems, I don't know everything, and I don't know the future. Yes, that creates a problem for me. But it doesn't for God, because he does know those things. And so we've all heard stories, right, about how something that seemed bad from our perspective at first leads to something good. <coughs> Jed's dad would never have committed himself to Jesus if it wasn't for the cancer that he had. Chuck Colson could not have become the powerful force for good that he was and helped as many prisoners come to know Jesus if it wasn't for the fact that he himself, following the Watergate scandal, ended up in prison for a while after the Nixon administration. But it's that working out of those things according to the ultimate good, according to God's plan in verse 28 there, that are meant to move us along to that goal that I highlighted in verse 29. God is working out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, and his purpose, according to verse 29, which he decided long ago, was that every person who follows Jesus will become like Jesus. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of his son. You're going to be made to look like Jesus. You're going to be like Jesus. That's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. It's what my wife wants for me. She's praying hard. Lord, please make him look like Jesus. Poor woman. Sitting there on her knees beside the bed. Lord. Delvin's wife's right next to her. so that we will become more and more like Jesus. All of his plan of salvation is working toward us becoming like Jesus. He saves us. He declares us righteous. He adopts us into his family. He sends his spirit into us. Everything else, all that stuff, okay, you can stick whatever you want there, so that we will become more and more like Jesus. John Piper is fond of saying that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I would add to that that God is most glorified when we are most like Jesus. Brings glory to God when we are like Jesus. Not doing a list of rules, but actually from the heart being like Jesus. Because, you know, you can fake being like Jesus for a little while. You can fake it for a while. 
you can kind of gin up some, you know, gumption and fake being like Jesus for a little while, but you can't for long term. It's got to be real heart change. And so I think being a doer of the word, like James 1.22 says, is best described as simply being like Jesus. Now my plan to take us through the Sundays until Easter this year is to study through the book of 1 John. 1 John's a great book. It's full of practical ways to live out our faith. It is full of questions to ask ourselves about how we're living for Jesus. And to give you a little taste of that, we're going to flip over there from Romans this morning and look at what John has to say about this idea of becoming like Jesus and what that means. What it means to be living like Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4-6. through 6. I will read it again, even though Gretchen did such a wonderful job of reading it for us already. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John makes three basic claims here. First, he says, if we claim to know Jesus, but don't keep his commandments, rely on ourselves. Second, he says if we keep his word, or as James calls, if we are doers of his word, his word and commandments synonymous here, then God's love is being perfected in us. I like that. Third thing, if we want to know if we are keeping his commandments, if we are doing his word, and if God's love is being perfected in us, we need to look at how we live on a daily basis. Walk in the New Testament is always used as a metaphor for how we're living our daily lives. That's what he means. You ought to walk as he walked. How, how's your daily life? Okay? We use this all the time, right? When you think about it, say, we talk about, eh, how's your walk with Jesus? She has a really close walk with the Lord, right? We use this even today. Same idea. In other words, according to John, the true test is not what we say, it's not what we claim, it's not whether or not we hold a certain doctrinal position. The true test is how do we live? Are we living more and more like Jesus? Now, when I say all that, okay, now there's somebody out there that's going to say, oh yeah, see I told you, see all that doctrine and stuff, that's not important. No, Pastor Orwell did not say that. <laughs> do not leave here. People on the internet who will view this later, do not send me angry comments that I said doctrine is not important. Just saying, people on the internet sometimes get really cranky. What I say is that if our doctrine doesn't lead to us living more like Jesus, then either that doctrine is bad, or we really don't believe it as much as we say we do. Doctrine is a necessary but not sufficient condition to make a determination on our walk with Jesus. Necessary, but not sufficient. Also, I don't want you to hear me say that we have to be 100% consistent and perfect in everything we do or we're not following Jesus. I mean, that'd be great, but it's probably not going to happen. I am saying that since God's stated goal for us is to become like Jesus, and John is telling us that if we claim to be following Jesus, we can know if we really are 
by doing a gut check on how our daily life looks like Jesus, we should be examining our lives regularly to see what the trajectory looks like. If we really want to make it simple, we can just say, being like Jesus means living like Jesus lived. That's what it means to be like Jesus. Being like Jesus has to lead to us doing like Jesus, or by definition, we're really not much like Jesus. If you want fancy theological language for it, in case you run into these words on the internet somewhere, before you make any angry comments to somebody, orthodoxy has to lead to orthopraxy, or it's not really orthodox. That would be awesome if this happened linearly. I mean, I wish my growth was like this. Ooh, there I got saved. Ooh, there's Jesus. Man. Boom. Wow. Right? That'd be so sweet. Right? I mean, start here, you know, I was seminary here, got married here, my wife was already here. Um, you know, like every day, every week, whatever, I'm in God's word, I'm praying, I'm serving, and, and boom, the growth comes, and, and uh, but we all know the reality is, is that actually growth of being, in becoming more like Jesus, like growth in most things, is actually more like this. Yeah, that was more. I'm doing really good. Oh, oh okay, well, you have to figure that out. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah, that's more like what my life is look like. We know Jesus is obviously the standard. He's the end goal for us to be like Jesus. But we also know that our will sometimes bounces between wanting to live like Jesus and wanting our own way, not wanting to necessarily live like Jesus. And it's not that, it's not that here, right, here, it's not that I don't love Jesus there, it's just that I love myself more there. It's like I, I, I have to tell my wife sometimes, it's not that I don't love my wife, but there are definitely days I love myself more. Some of you have children. I've had children. They're grown now. Whatever. Some of you are about to have children. You'll learn this too. It's okay. One thing you notice after a while is that your child's growth physically and mentally and emotionally is like the second graph. It's staggered. It's not linear. Your child one time might be four feet tall for a year and a half and wear size five shoes, and then all of a sudden they grow eight inches in a year and they need size 10 shoes. And you're like, I cannot afford to buy any more clothes. Because in between size five and size 10, we're size six, seven, eight, nine. And I have an entire closet full of shoes that don't fit anymore. Maybe your kid has a terrible twos or something. You know what? You know what? They grow out of it. They grow out of it. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they're like my daughter Taylor. Taylor's here. She can go upstairs. Okay? Taylor, I'm going to pick on you for a second. Not really. Not picking. This is good. Okay? Taylor resisted reading for a long time. I mean, she always, she always was fine. Met all the grade level expectations. In fact, when she was over at Cedar Heights, she, she was doing great reading. But, man, she hated reading. Oh, I would hear about her when she had to read at school how much she hated. I do not know what happened, but sometime a little over a year ago, 
something clicked on the reading. Now, she might read two or three books a week. I mean, last year she read most of Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. You ever read Crime and Punishment? That's a long book. She tried in Russian sometimes. <laughs> our spiritual growth is the same. And so how we measure our growth is by examining ourselves against the standard Jesus and seeing how much we're living like Jesus over time and that the trend is going up. Now, what do I mean by living Jesus like Jesus? I want to be clear about that, what we mean by that. When we think about living like Jesus, that can be interpreted in a variety of ways, right? Does, I mean, if you're a super ultra-literalist, right, you could say, well, that means if I'm going to really live like Jesus, I need to eschew all possessions and get myself a robe and some sandals and wander the countryside telling people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I mean I have to be single. Jesus didn't have a wife. Okay? Does it mean that, that I need to have some disciples? Do I need 12 disciples? If I'm going to be like Jesus, I mean, Jesus had 12 disciples. Is that what it means to be like Jesus? Well, none of those things are wrong, of course. I mean, and maybe some specific people might be called to some of those things, but that's obviously not what we mean by living like Jesus. What we do mean is what Dallas Willard describes as learning to live like Jesus, how he would live if he was living your life. If he had our spouse or our job or our children to walk how Jesus would walk if he was on your life journey. How would Jesus work if he was working your job? How would Jesus mother your children if he was mothering your children? What if he was dealing with your neighbor? How would Jesus do that? See, this is, this is a, real, a real rubber meets the road sort of approach to Christian living. Because it's not rule-based. You can't, you can't make enough rules for that. If this, then this. It has to be based on a growing relationship with Jesus to see every situation through his eyes. It's literally learning to live as Jesus would live if he was in our shoes. And since Jesus is perfect... He's always going to know how to be the best guide for any way to act or speak or react in every situation. So according to John, here, now, back in 1 John there, the starting place for that, as you would have heard me say last week, and as you know, because I've talked about it a million times, is the written word. You can't keep his word if you don't know his word. We can't live like Jesus or walk as he walked without understanding how he walked. How he talk, what he expects. Here's what Dallas Willard has to say on the subject. I'll read you this quote. It's also printed in your uh, outline in the bulletin. First, I'm learning to do the things with Jesus explicitly said to do. It's quite literally nonsense to call Jesus Lord and not do what he said. Lord means nothing in such a case. But because I do accept him as Lord, his instructions on behavior are my treasures for living life. Of course I can't do what he said just by trying. I must train. I must, through appropriate courses of action, become inwardly transformed by grace to become the kind of person, in my innermost thoughts, feelings, attitudes, and directions of will, who will routinely do the kinds of things he said to do. Then I will not be governed by anger or contempt or lust. 
And I will be able to bless those who curse me and love my enemies and so forth, because I am one in whom the character and power of Christ has come to dwell through the process of discipleship to Christ. Second, I'm learning to conduct the usual activities of life at home or school, community, business, government, in the character and power of Christ. This is precisely why my song shall ever be that we must be constant students of the scriptures because they are the only objective source for us to know all about Jesus and what God requires through both the principles and commands and through understanding his works and character. Everything I want to know about God, need to know about God, it's in there. And then we, as Willard puts it, need to train. You want to get better at living like Jesus, it will not happen. If, if you go home, you take your Bible, go home, you go bed by night, go sleepy time. try that, the only thing that's going to result in is a visit to the chiropractor. Unless you got a really good pill. No, you need to train. And here's a simple process for training. Very easy. You know, evaluate, improve, and reevaluate. So, I like Twitter. Twitter's fun. There was a Twitter interaction last week. I wanted to go to Twitter. <laughs> wanted to use a nuclear option. I didn't. Marissa can attest that I did not, did I? I wanted to, but I didn't. And the reason, part of why I didn't is, is I have, have trained my mind to not use a nuclear option. Part of it is because I have a couple of Twitter friends, one's a former pastor and one's a prophet at Dallas Seminary, who, who handle online jerks really well. And they're very good at living like Jesus would live on Twitter. So I thought about how they would respond and, and went <coughs> I look back in the past at some online interactions I've had and realized I could, I could have done better. Okay, and so now I've gone on to, I've, I've evaluated and I've improved and I've gone on to do better. Okay? So in other words, using the lens of Jesus, I evaluated and looked at how I could improve and then after the next opportunity I reevaluated to see how my improvement went. And I have improved. You know, think about this. This is kind of the standard process we learn or train for anything. Why does Marissa video every top set of her training and send it to her trainer? Because she's really vain and loves to watch herself do attending things. Well, yes, that's true. But if you're so vain, you probably think this sermon's about you. No, because she sends it to her trainer so they can evaluate that set and note any improvements or corrections needed. And the next time, reevaluate so they can keep working and improving and getting better. And it works because she's gotten a lot better. But what's interesting to me is we really tend to not apply that technique, even though that's <clears throat> what you do when you play, learn to play an instrument or learn to do almost anything. We don't seem to want to apply that to walking with Jesus. I don't know if we have a suspicion that maybe, maybe that sounds too much like a work. And we're so grace-oriented that training sounds like works. And you know, salvation's by grace. I don't want any works in there. But I would remind us that grace is opposed to earning, not opposed to effort. Grace is that I can't force God's hand. I don't earn anything from him. But it's not opposed to effort. And the New Testament is replete with encouragements to discipline ourselves, to do things, to become more like Jesus. 
Or maybe it's just that it's hard work and you know what, I'm already too busy and I already got too many things going and blah, blah, blah. But I can promise you that becoming like Jesus pays dividends both in this life and in eternity. And it's not really that difficult. Take any situation, take any relationship. Ask yourself, how would Jesus handle this situation or treat this person? And if you're not sure, because maybe you're not 100% sure, I have a book for you. And this book, along with some prayer, has that knowledge. Shocking. It's in there. Now, you may have to dig to find it. It's okay. You may have, you may have to remember that old, the, old the millionaire show, right? You, know, you may have to phone a friend to help you out. I'll be your friend. Phone me up. I'll help you out. Okay? Then we use what we've learned to be like Jesus to improve. And then we reevaluate and we keep moving forward. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Okay? I sometimes get flustered when Jen can't do something that I think she should be able to do. Then I have to ask myself, how would Jesus handle this if he was in my place? A whole lot better than I do sometimes. And then I keep working on improving. Because I know that Jesus is the epitome of kindness and encouragement. And so I need to work on that. i got a long way to go. But the trend is up. Kind of slowly up. But up. So wherever you are this morning, you can make a plan and you can implement it to walk more like Jesus walked. Pick one thing or one person or one situation. You don't have to do everything all at once. And go for it. Remember, John says, if we claim to know Jesus, we're to be growing and living according to his word. And if we're not, then we have to maybe wonder about our commitment to him. We have to think about that. And growth is measured by how much we are actually living like Jesus. And that growth is based on implementing God's word. And how do you do that? How do I implement God's word? I evaluate the situation. I figure out what God's word says so I can improve that situation. And then I keep reevaluating. Simple as that. Evaluate it, improve, reevaluate. So in every situation of life, over time, despite our stumbles, our struggles, anybody got those? I got those. Right? But over time, we can all become more and more like our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. But I'm grateful that you have left us your word so that we can learn, as we're just about to sing, to live like Jesus. Because really, that's, that's ultimately what's best for us. Walking as he walked, living as he lived, is, is the best thing for us. And we can easily do that by just evaluating according to your word and improving and looking back. Father, help us for 2023, when we uh, get to the end of the year and we, we think about back over our year, that we've made a little bit of progress up that slope to being more like Jesus. I will give you the glory for it in his name.